uh, we are continuing our series and, uh, of what, why Christianity makes sense. And just in the summer, we're looking at these seven values that, um, do I have it on? No, I do not have it on. These seven values that we looked at before, justice, love, spirituality, beauty, truth, freedom, and power. We've looked at justice, love, and then the last couple of weeks, we looked at spirituality. Uh, today, we're going to touch on beauty. And uh, the point is that these values I, that uh, are, are in each one of us, and the theory is, and the argument is, that all these values are, are transcendent. They transcend culture, they transcend language, they transcend borders, they're common to all people, and they point to something greater than us. They point to something bigger to, uh, than us, and I will say they point to the Creator God. But they're also broken, and we have looked at justice, how we desire justice, and yet we, we fail uh, all the time. We, we don't come through with that. Uh, we want justice when it's out there, but when we're in the court of, court of uh, public opinion or just the law court, we want mercy, not justice. Uh, love, <clears throat> we all know that's important. We know it's important in our relationships, and yet we seem to always get it wrong. We seem to always damage the relationships we have, and some of those relationships are, are the most important ones we have in our life, and sometimes that damage is lifelong. And then the last couple of weeks, we've looked at spirituality, of this longing for human beings to connect to the spirit world, regardless of how they define it. We define that as a meeting of heaven and earth, or, or physical and spiritual, that there is something out there, there is something else besides just the material world. Well, today we're going to look at, at beauty, and we're just going to, uh, I knew we were going to have quite a few things to do this morning, so we're just going to introduce it. I had the, the sermon fixed up and everything, and I thought, no, we're only going to do half of this today. And uh, so we'll continue it next week. So I just want to introduce the topic this week of, of beauty. Uh, bathed in beauty is what I'm, I'm titling the sermon, the message this, this, this week and next week. And I really didn't think about it, but it's, um, it's kind of a, a, a Mexico Sunday, actually. Uh, I think that, um, that the churches in Mexico rival the beauty of the churches in Europe. I don't know if you've ever been to the churches in Europe, and they're gorgeous. Mexican churches rival the European churches in their terms of beauty. And, uh, and where we lived, Puebla, uh, was home to many, many of these churches. Uh, I, just as a side note, I did get a kick out of Sarah saying that when they got down there, there were no girls playing soccer. Uh, when we moved down there, Katie was just turned four, right? Just turned four. And as a dad who likes sports, I had in my vision that Katie would be moving to Latin America and grow up in Latin America and become a soccer star and learn soccer in Latin America and then come into the U.S. and just, you know, just beat everybody at soccer and get a scholarship to a college playing soccer. And then they get down there and they go, oh, soccer's a man's game. You know, it's, it's not girl girls. I'm like, well, so much for that dream. But, uh, <clears throat> but uh, Puebla is home to some of the most beautiful churches, I think, in the world. And one of them is the Capilla de Rosario and uh, it's, um, you can tell that it reflects the Spaniards' obsession with gold. Every object in there is gold. Every, the whole thing is, is, is covered with gold leafing. And uh, it's when you walk around the corner and you're, you're in, the, in the chapel, uh, the tourists would come in and you will literally hear an audible gasp because you walk in there and it just takes your breath away. It is just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, that's just some more shots of the Capilla de Rosario. And you can tell it's just, it's just covered with gold. Beautiful, you know, it just like re reflects the Spaniard um, perspective. My favorite church, though, however, is the Santa Maria Tonantitlan. 
and it's a, it's a smaller church outside of town, and you look at the exterior, and it's beautiful. It's got the tile work that's normal, that's typical of Puebla, uh, and it's, it's very nice. But then you walk inside of this church, and you see this. And you look at it a little bit closer, and you see things like this. And the reason I love this church is because it, too, was commissioned by the Spaniards, by Spanish missionaries and conquistadors. And, uh, but it was built, of course, by indigenous people. And they were allowed to build it with their own culture, their own re it reflected their own values and their own uh, lifestyle. And so it looked very, very different than the other churches in, in predominantly in Mexico that were, they were engineered by the Spaniards. Because if you look a little closer, it reflects their culture. It's tribal. It's, it, it reflects their, what's important to them. The faces are brown. The hair is brown. Um, there is some, some, uh, some Spaniard influence. Let's see if I get this side, like right here. There's four of these in the chapel, and these represent the gospel writers. And, of course, they look very European. Uh, but everything else, the angels are all brown-faced. It has themes of, of agriculture, lots of harvest, and lots of wheat and fruit baskets and things like that. It's just absolutely stunning. Uh, just another, another picture. That's probably my favorite. When I visit these churches or take other people around to see them, I'm always conflicted with my emotions. I, you walk in and they're just gorgeous. It just takes your breath away. It's just so beautiful. And then you look at it and you go, but it's so ostentatious, some of them, especially the Rosario. And you think, all this money spent on gold and all this stuff. And, and uh, like a typical American, I would say, well, why, you know, they should, they should have taken the, taken the money and, uh, and given it to the poor, which is always interesting and a little bit hypocritical because to get to the Capilla Rosario, you have to walk through pretty much a gauntlet of beggars. And I don't see, ever see any tourists giving them any money, you know. <laughs> but when they get there, they say, they should have given this money to the poor. And I understand that, and I'm always conflicted with that. How do we balance this, and how do we get this? And, and I think, oh, it's just what a, what a waste. But then you talk to the Mexicans, and they don't see it wet that way at all. They see it as very valuable. They see the beauty as breathtaking. They, say, they see it, this is not just a personal value. They don't, they don't, it's not something like a, in the, here in the States, the individual owns the art or individual owns something. This is a collective beauty. This is something they share. This is something they, they do as a community. And then they come and worship, and the, and the beauty draws them to God. And they will say, when we go to Mass, we are taken away with the beauty. It draws us to God, and we begin to forget about ourselves. And it's, we don't, they do not see it as, as, as an afterthought or as a decoration. Uh, and they don't see it as contradicting gener generosity, that in fact it draws them to the generous love of God. And this points them to God. And I've come to think, and I've come to believe that I, I think that they're right in a lot of ways. I think they're right. It draws them to the goodness of God. It, uh, it reflects their, their culture. It, just, it, it, it can communicates to this longing that we have for beauty this longing and this, this desire to beauty. And uh, that I've come to believe that this beauty is the heart of the gospel, that it is the portal to the gospel because this is what touches the heart. And in our rationalized, ultra-rationalized and ultra-logical uh, culture, modern culture, we think we can win people to Christ with arguments and doctrine and dogma 
and proof and, and reason and that sort of thing, when in fact, that is important, but it comes later. The first place that God touches us is the heart. And that's where he draws us in. That's where he brings us. That it touches our longing for the goodness of God and the loving and the goodness. It draws us into the love of God. And I've come to believe that's the heart of the gospel. I grew up the majority of my Christian life thinking Christianity was primarily morals and primarily doctrine, those two things. But now I'm realizing that beauty is one of the heart is one of the heartbeats of the gospel itself. It's what draws us. It is what's important. Do we need beauty to live? No. We don't. But we need beauty to live well. We need beauty to live right. It's, it creates passion. And, and I would say that, that it is the portal through which God reaches us and God woos us. That is the portal to where God enters into our heart. And some of this other stuff comes later. But I believe the, 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 the beauty is this window in which God reaches us. Now, I do have a conflict of emotions about this, and I'm still dealing with it, but I'm convinced that this is where God is going to reach us. This is where God is going to touch us. But, <clears throat> but beauty has a lot of questions that come with it, and so I'm just going to introduce that this morning, a lot of questions. It's like, you know, first of all, what is it? And if we say the world is beautiful, we just sang about that. This is my father's world. If the world is beautiful... Well, then why? Why is that? And what is beautiful about it? Uh, is beauty just, is there, are there things that are inherently beautiful? Or is that all in the eyes of the beholder? Is that all subjective? Uh, does beauty really have anything to do with God and the Christian life? Does the Bible even talk about beauty? Well, next week we will find that out, <laughs> okay? Uh, we're going to postpone this till next week. We're going to look at the, what the Bible does say about beauty. And then we're going to look at why this is so important. What's at stake if we neglect beauty? So that's, what, that's for next week. So if you're interested in that, come back. Okay, that's next week. But I just want to introduce the topic this morning. That there's a couple of strange things about beauty. One thing is that it is temporary. It comes and goes. It's, it's not going to last. And I'm not just talking about me getting older. Okay. Or us getting older. I'll make that the plural we. It just is temporary. It doesn't, it doesn't last. But that's part of it. That's part of it. I, I was talking with Jason this morning. They went to the uh, observatory in Goldendale yesterday. And he was telling me how they saw uh, Saturn. And they could see the Andromeda galaxy and all these things. It's just gorgeous. If we saw that every day, it wouldn't be so gorgeous. If if the full moon hung in the sky every single night, we would start to ignore it. If the sunsets are beautiful or sunrises are beautiful, but if it just stayed there the whole time, we wouldn't think it's beautiful. The music has to end. The song has to, has to come to an end. We love seeing, or I do, love seeing those geese that fly in the fall and the spring. But if every day I looked up and there were geese flying in the sky, it would lose its, kind of, it would lose its appeal, its allure. 
Sue and I had this go on this normal walk, and for a while there, we were seeing two eagles perched in this tree in our neighborhood in the middle of town, two bald eagles perched in this tree. And we were just amazed. So, so gorgeous. But if we saw it every day? So beauty is temporary. But that's what creates the longing. But more importantly, it creates the memory. And beauty forms us. Those memories forms us, form us. I am getting closer and closer to my allotted time on this earth, as Job would put it. But I'm coming to realize that I have been formed by beauty in my life. Now, I have been formed in ugly ways by my own foolishness and sin. But it's these points of beauty that has actually formed me, formed my spiritual life, formed my, my emotional life as we move on. And it's those memories that stick with us. The beauty is, is, is transitory, but the memory forms us. So one thing, strange thing, that it's temporary. And the second strange thing is that the earth is beautiful, but it doesn't need to be, does it? It doesn't really need to be beautiful. I mean, why, what's, the, what's, the, what's the purpose? It doesn't need to be appealing. The sunrise is beautiful, but does it really need to be? I mean, the earth would function perfectly fine without us. But why is it? And my point here is that I believe this idea of beauty is, goes way beyond some evolutionary consequence. That this beauty, the thing that, but to think that we see, we hear music that is just beautiful and gorgeous and moves us, that that, that uh, grilled salmon is so delicious, or that sunrise is so gorgeous, that painting is so beautiful, it's got to be more than just an evolutionary consequence. It's pointing us to something bigger, something better. And I present to you this morning that it's the Creator God, that it's pointing us to that. Now, how do we define beauty? De beauty is a very slippery topic. I can't say this is the definition of beauty and everybody goes, oh, so that's what that means. Beauty does have this sort of loveliness about it. Uh, the best definition I saw, I've seen, is from Richard Rohr, who says, beauty is the harmony of the true and the good. Beauty is the harmony of the true and the good. If something is truly beautiful, it will be true and it will be good. And that's what, what's what beauty is. Now, that's a little bit slippery, and it's hard to wrap your mind around. It's, it's still not very concrete. I understand that, but it's the best I could come up with or it's the best I've seen. But beauty is something that stops us in our tracks. It's something that, that pierces our hearts. It's something that moves us. And, and the thing is, unfortunately, by and large, Christians are pretty uneasy with beauty, I think. And this happened after the Reformation as a sort of a reaction to maybe the ostentatious or the, 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 the overkill of some of the Roman Catholic churches, we've kind of reacted against that. And uh, we say that uh, the sensual is too close to sinful, so therefore let's get rid of it all. And yet God has given us five good senses to appreciate beauty. He wants us to do that. And yes, it, it, is, it does make us uneasy. It does make us a little bit, little bit iffy. 
Uh, it's because it's very powerful. Beauty is very alluring. But for the most part, I find a lot of Christians think that uh, it's either irrelevant or it's dangerous. And we can walk into those churches, we can walk into Santa Maria, Tonantzitlan, and say, yeah, this is beauty, but it's really irrelevant. And I don't think God thinks that way at all. We tend to think that Christianity is all about morals and dogma and not about delight and desire. And I don't think that's biblical. In fact, I think it runs contrary to the message of the scriptures. And I think one of the reasons we do this, and I'm including myself in this for years and years and years and years, is that we don't get the story right. And I've said this before, we get the story wrong. Instead of, a, instead of the true, beautiful story, we end up telling a shameful story. We end up starting with Genesis 3 and end with Revelation 20. We start with the fall. We start with you're a lousy sinner and you need to realize that. We start there. And then we end with Revelation 20, which is terrible judgment. But where does the Bible start? The Bible starts with Genesis 1. With 1. And it was very good. Which that word can also be translated as very beautiful. And it ends with the new creation, which is also very beautiful. And we need to start there and end there. That's the true story. I feel like that if we've lost our love for beauty, then we have lost the best means for us to love God, and we've lost the best means of us to feel loved by God. That if we take beauty out of our lives, how are we going to feel that God loves us? If we take beauty out of our lives, how are we going to communicate our love for God? I believe what Paul was reading, and we're going to hop on this, this chapter, believe me, it, it wasn't just a, a side thing. We're going to get on this, this chapter next week. But I think what, what Paul was saying when he talked about the darkness and the light and the people rejected him, I think a heart that is full of darkness cannot see beauty. But a heart full of light cannot not see beauty. That a heart that is full of light will just naturally see it. And they will naturally hear it. Or taste it. Or smell it. That a heart full of darkness won't even, won't even recognize it. So I think beauty is not only a fine place to begin when you start thinking about God. It's not only a fine place to begin when you decide you want to pursue God. I happen to think it's the best place. And it will lead us to goodness and truth if it's truly beautiful. And I think that's where the scripture is going. That the Christian life does have to do a lot with beauty. That we need to move beyond the fact that we think it, it's either irrelevant or maybe even dangerous. That it's part of the heart of the gospel. And unfortunately, <clears throat> unfortunately, we have pretty much commodified beauty in our culture. And I believe we are hardwired for it as human beings, as bearing the image of God. We are hardwired for beauty. But we have basically commodified it.
we have equated beauty with expensive. That if it's beautiful, then it must be worth some monetary value. The touch of the hand is not good enough anymore. The look of a painting, of Van Gogh's painting, is not good enough anymore. It's what is Van Gogh worth? <clears throat> I don't know how many of you saw that, that uh, a Da Vinci sketch this week sold for $12 million. It's the head of a bear done with pencil. Pretty decent, but it went for $12 million. Nice head of a bear, but $12 million. And I have to admit, I, I love the Antique Roadshow. But how do they evaluate each item? By what it would bring. And now they'll do reruns and tell you, well, this happened in, in 2016. How much is it worth now in 2021? And again, I love the show. I, I'm really fascinated. But we have commodified the beauty. And we fail to see what it really does. We've made it the ultimate instead of the penultimate. We've made it the ultimate price, but beauty is just the penultimate of pointing us to God. If it's not the penultimate pointing us to God, then it's idolatry. Bottom line. So we'll be looking next week <clears throat> at the scriptures and uh, particularly the book of John. I've been trying to stay in the book of John this whole series, and we'll be looking at that, and we'll be looking at some of the Old Testament too, just to see what does really the Bible say about beauty. Unfortunately, um, most preachers, scholars, they totally ignore this. They're more interested in talking about the definition of a word, or whether Moses wrote the Pentateuch, or whether there's a redactor. And, we don't, and, they, and what we do see about beauty, we sort of just screen it out as unimportant. But I want to present next week that it is the very heart of the gospel. And so with that, we're going to close. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to sing the doxology this morning. And believe it or not, I will start it since uh, Kendra had to leave early. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.